0: The text for the sermon this day is taken from the Old Testament reading from Daniel 6, which you heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are on week 5 of the Tree of Life series. And one little thread starts to come up throughout the Old Testament and throughout the Scriptures. And that is the relationship between the people of God and the leaders, specifically the political rulers. And there's quite often quite a bit of tension. So go all the way back to Genesis. At the very end, you have Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And, so, and while he was there, he was accused of adultery with Potiphar's wife. And therefore, he spent quite a bit of time in prison. Of course, he raised raised the prominence and he fell into favor with Pharaoh. And hundreds of years would pass, and there would be a new Pharaoh, and eventually he'd start executing, he'd start killing the Jews. And so Moses would have to square off with him. Years would pass, they would leave Egypt, they'd wander in the wilderness. They eventually would arrive to to the the land that God had promised. And one day, they would come to Samuel the prophet and say, All the other nations have kings. We want a king. You know, it's kind of the keeping up with the Joneses, the grass is always greener on the other side type thing. And Samuel tells tells them, You don't want this, you will regret it. Having a king only brings misfortune. They didn't care. They wanted to be like everyone else. And so, they got their wish. Their first king was Saul, who was good for a short period. But it wasn't long before he became corrupted. And he fell out of favor with God. And so another king was appointed, David. Now David was, for the most part, good as a king. Except for if you get through that one little episode in 2 Samuel 11, where he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, gets her pregnant, and in order to hide the pregnancy, he murders his neighbor, or has his neighbor murdered. So murder, adultery, that's pretty big failure. His son, Solomon... Solomon decided to have, he thought it would not be a big deal to have several hundred wives and several hundred concubines. Yes, he was the wisest of all the kings. And you have that wonderful f- story, of him, that familiar story of him choosing, offering to split a baby in half, which he wasn't really going to do it, but to f- highlight who the real mother was, which was an act of wisdom. But, like I said, wisdom is great as long as you use it. Like I said, later in life, not so wise. So, gentlemen, in case you are wondering, it is not wise to have hundreds of wives. Just in case you are thinking, boy, I'm bored. Not a wise idea. In the case of Solomon, it destroyed the kingdom. The kingdom split. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. And if you read through First and 2 Kings, it's basically a litany of ongoing bad king after bad king after bad king. The northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, eventually was destroyed. Destroyed by the Assyrians. If you ever want to read up on the Assyrians, just Google them and you'll find that they were some of the most brutal and unpleasant people in the history of the world. The Assyrians were conquered by the Babylonians. And then the Babylonians came to the southern kingdom and destroyed the southern kingdom and forced the people of Judah. So the southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah. And they're led into exile. Now you might be wondering, why does God allow the northern kingdom to be destroyed and scattered, but the southern kingdom remain intact? Well, it goes all the way back. Goes to the whole thing, they're called Judah. Because they have the line of Judah. Who is in the line of Judah? Jesus. Even though both the northern and the southern kingdom had become incredibly rotten to the core, God kept is keeping his promises. So he preserves the southern kingdom. But they are led into exile. To get you an idea what exile is, Imagine if an army came came to Ida Grove. Now, imagine Ida Grove's about 10, 20 times bigger. But an army comes and destroys every last building in town. And he forces you to take whatever you have left and walk the distance it is to go from here to Chicago. That's exile. And to live there for 70 years. That was the exile. And that is where Daniel's in. Daniel's in the midst of that exile. First, he has Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of the Babylonians. But eventually, Babylon is conquered by the Persians. And so he deals with Darius. And then, at the very beginning with Nebuchadnezzar, you have a situation where everyone has to bow down and they have to worship this golden image. They refuse, and so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—the three cool, three of the coolest names I, I can think of—if anybody gets triplets, you just got—you have to name them those three names. Forget Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Go with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But those three—they're preserved from the fire. Daniel thrown to the lions, as we heard in the text a little bit ago, survives. Go forward to the New Testament. More issues with leaders. Of course, there's Herod, who tried to kill Jesus when he was born. But more notably, you go to John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached and spoke against Herod's immoral relationship with Herod's brother the wife of Herod's brother. And so, because of that, John was arrested and he was beheaded. If you ever wonder whether or not Christians should speak against the immorality of their leaders, there's your example. John the Baptist did. We are also in place to do it. Jesus, when he went on trial, stood before Pilate and he stood before Herod, that same Herod that executed John, and of course he was crucified. The early Christians would stand regularly before kings and governors and emperors, and they too would be executed. See what you have in all of these occurrences is a common thread of how the people of God dealt with their government. Dealt with their leaders. And I think it's kind of relevant because... Anybody know what's a, m- a month from yesterday? Yeah, election. Midterm elections are November 8th. And by the way, if you want to know why it's November 8th and not November 1st, is because November 1st is All Saints Day. And at one time, All Saints Day was so well celebrated that many people would be in church and also one of the most popular voting locations are churches and they would be occupied with all saint state services but when you're dealing with what you have here it's not telling you who to vote for but it does kind of give you an outline of how we deal with our leaders because understand when the when the disciples in the early days of the church When they were asked to renounce Christ, they said, We obey God rather than man. And that is the starting principle of everything. When it comes to dealing with any leader, with any authority, is we obey God rather than man. So no matter what any prince, king, governor, whatever, may say or command us to do, if it is contrary to what God has said, We obey God rather than man. And by the way, you've got to make sure it actually is something biblical. So I'd say that because sometimes things are not so clear. But notice how they do it. How do the people of God deal with this? Because we do have these phrases. Romans 13, Paul writes... Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Remember, he's talking about Emperor Nero. Nero would be a guy who would light the streets of Rome with the burning bodies of Christians. In fact, Nero is the one who would eventually order the execution of Paul. In fact, this is what Paul says about, says while he is awaiting his execution under order of Nero. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Do you notice how, how did Joseph deal with Potiphar? He, he honored him. He honored Pharaoh. Even Moses, when he stood before Pharaoh and was demanding that the people of God be set free, he was honored. Do you notice how Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, when they're thrown into the fiery furnace, Notice what they're doing. They are standing firm in their confession of the one true God and refusing to bow at any other while still honoring Nebuchadnezzar as king. The same Nebuchadnezzar who forced them into exile. They're still honoring him. Peter writes this. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And by the way, when Peter wrote that, he would later be crucified upside down by the same emperor. And he's writing to people who are being executed to honor that same emperor. See, I know we as Americans, we're privileged to have a right. And we're actually in a really different government. Because technically, I don't know if you realize this, but the way our government system works, technically all of us are part of the government. Because we all have some voice in it. And because we all have some voice in it, We all have a responsibility to honor God and to stand for the truth that is laid in Scripture. To stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. Probably the most obvious example of this would be fighting for life. We're talking specifically abortion. Defending life from conception unto death. Whether they're in the womb or over hundred years old, we defend that life. And no matter what the government may say, we stand with it. But even still, we honor. We do it with respect. And you know why? There's a word we call for that. We call that integrity. We don't practice integrity just because because the person is worthy of it. We don't give honor to people because they are worthy of honor. We give people, we practice integrity, we give honor because God placed them above us. And by doing so, we are honoring God and we are silencing their criticisms so they may pay attention to the much more important thing, and that is the message we bring. So that their criticism may be upon the word of God, that we may stand in it, and they may not focus on how we bring it. Notice what Daniel said in the lion's den. When the king came to him to see if he was still alive, Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever, is what he says to Darius. Now granted, Darius did not want to execute Daniel. Very similar to how Herod did not want to kill John the Baptist. But, he nonetheless ordered them. It's a tension. But do you know why we live in that tension? Paul in Romans, a little bit before he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, you go back to chapter 8, and it's a very familiar text. Because they are living in the reality of people being arrested, people being killed for being a Christian. And so he says, what then shall we say to these things? who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? I'm positive. This passage, I'm guessing most of you have heard this. Many of you have heard that one before. It's usually read a lot of times at funerals, by the bedside when somebody is dying. And definitely very appropriate for any difficulties or trials that happen to anyone. But specifically, here in verse 36, it lets you know he's dealing specifically with people who are dealing with persecution at the hand of their leaders. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, so princes, governors, emperors, presidents, legislatures, judges, whatever, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, at the end of the service here, we're gonna end with a song that we're gonna have a video of it. I couldn't do it last, we didn't do it last night. Do any of you know Lost and Found the band? If you did, you had for those of you who grew up in um, going to youth stuff, one of their very famous well-known songs is, Oh, them lions, they can eat my body, but they can't swallow my soul. Anybody know that one? Oh boy. They need to get back to touring or whatever because they've become unknown. But anyways, we're going to end with that. There's two reasons. One, I didn't like that we had completely traditional for the week. But the other reason, it fits so well. Because it's a reminder that, yes, the lion, Daniel did not fear those lions because, yes, and similar to the fiery furnace, he knows that his God can deliver him. But he also knows that God might choose not to. And you know what? If that happens, if your body is swallowed up, you can't swallow your soul. We stand in the gospel. We stand in the confession of Jesus Christ. We stand for the truth, law, and gospel. We stand for that we are to live better. We're not to. Act, we're going to live in a righteous and appropriate manner. We demand our rulers live in such a manner we demand that our leaders have legislations or laws that are appropriate in that matter we stand because we know no matter what they say no matter what they do they cannot devour our soul because god he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all daniel the people of israel are spared in persia under the persians or the babylonians Because he would die on the cross and guarantee that no one can bring anything against you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ that leads to life everlasting in the kingdom under the true king where there is no sorrow or grief. Till that day comes, to him be all honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen.